Hi, this is Stephen Williams from Supernatural and a whole bunch Jake. of other stuff, and you're watching Sci-Fi Saturday Night. Tune in. We will begin a mass invasion. We'll tell your people to surrender now and avoid war. It is now time for us to put Earth under our rule. It's your sacred duty to tell us the truth. Confess, confess that you've been guilty of witchcraft. You expect me to believe that you can overrun the entire world? We cannot be defeated. We have never been defeated. That is the message to bring your people. Yeah, they're dead. They're all messed up. Side by Saturday night. Wow, I really, really, really do not like this new Skype. It just keeps popping and doing dumb shit. In any case, from a tarnished, recycled, knockoff, diecast, miniature Firefly figurine factory on sub-level 9, deep in Area 51, welcome to TalkCast 368, another week of sci-fi Saturday night. Feeling discomforted uh, for reasons I'm not willing to disclose at this point. I'm your host, The Dome. Joining the talk cast tonight, the rest of the gang, in the Peabody Time Tunnel, it's our own button-pushing, keyboard-clacking, sonic screwdrivering, violent virtuoso, Kriana. So what was the deal with Sam Jones butting in halfway through that opening? And tonight, Criano, evidently we'll be talking only in sound effects. Back from her well-deserved vacation in the stanks of the... I've done that again. This is the second week in a row I've done it. In the stacks of the Dank Dungeons Collegiate Prep Underground Library at Ex-California Cyborg University Adjunct Campus in Sulphur Springs, New Jersey. It's Sombrarian. That interview that we played as the opener is one of my favorites that we've ever done which one the one with oh the guys the guys from supernatural yeah just yeah, because i asked him a question about his character who he played for probably like 10 minutes years before and he said and i said oh my favorite part about this character is this one little thing and he said oh, I'm so glad you liked that that was my idea <laughs> and he went on for like 10 minutes about it that's right yeah and I was like he's so thoughtful about his little like it's a little it's a character who doesn't show up often on the show and he thought so right. hard about him anyway that was my cake I'm eating oh. cake for dinner I was gonna say you're having your cake and eating it too congratulations I am eating it too. So I'm going to hopefully be later. while I finish it. Bye. Okay, well you can do that. Uh, hopefully joining us after the interview portion tonight, uh, the man who always thought that the Earth was the center of the universe, our futuristic gamer, the guy who likes really shiny stuff, Awake by Java. Our guest tonight uh, contacted us in a really odd way. I think it was... Uh, one of the Facebook groups I was in, and he said, hi guys, I just finished this book. Are you interested in it? 
And I shot him an email back and said, why, yes, I am. Our guest tonight, author Brian James. Brian, welcome to Sci-Fi Saturday Night. Well, thank you very much. And I love what you've done here with Area 51. Yeah, well, we try and keep it as much underground as possible and, and as much in the dark as we can. Because uh, i got this really eye thing going on, but that's a whole different story. Uh, Brian James lives somewhere around the D Detroit area. Uh, was raised on Douglas Adams and Snorri Snurlson, and we'll talk about that in a minute. Uh, went out to college. We got a degree in history that he's done not much with, but he got the degree and it is hanging up somewhere in his house. Uh, he's written for magazines, newspapers, websites, and just started writing books recently. Uh, his second book is Please Say It For Me Again. Mjolnir. <laughs> Mjolnir, which is Thor's hammer. A ref the Thor's hammer, the reference to Thor's hammer. So we're going to guess that this book is somehow about Norse mythology of one kind or another. And it was just a guess. And we're not talking the Marvel so, version because we saw the hammer destroyed in the last Thor movie. I don't believe that for a minute. In a, I don't know, but Skype, I will come after you with a, a barbed wire wrapped baseball bat shortly. In the book, Mueller, the Viking gods are now banished from Asgard to Earth, making the best of it. Uh, and it's basically the study of how they're making the best of it and what goes on in their lives until is the prophecy that declares their time is at an end. So, first and foremost, how, where did this book come from? Well, um, like it, like a lot of, like anyone else who is kind of nerdish tendencies, had nerdish tendencies growing up, I've read a lot of comic books, and I read the old Thor comic books, and I thought that was the Thor. The and I thought that was the Norse myth until I got to high school and realized was introduced to the real Norse myths, and was from a. Um, I was kind of blown away by it. I loved what I was reading. And I started thinking, what would happen? Because it's a prophecy, and the Norse myths never actually get to the prophecy. I'm guessing they were Christianized before they could continue writing and coming up with the stories. So what would happen if, if that end-of-the-world's apocalyptic prophecy happened today? Because they are the only culture that I can remember, that I can think of, that kills off most of its gods in one war. And what happens? Well, during Ragnarok, you get the forces of Loki and Surt and Loki's children against Odin um, and his children. And they basically destroy each other with one exception, and that's Surt. Surt just finally gets sick of everyone and burns the planet to a cinder. 
And that's your Cliff Notes version of Ragnarok. <laughs> okay. Uh, Thor is killed by, by a very large dragon named Jermungan. He's called the Midgard Serpent and is large enough to wrap himself around the planet and chew his own tail. Odin is killed by Fenris. He is a building-sized wolf in the most that I've ever seen for a main character. He simply just swallowed, and that's the last you ever hear of, of Odin. So all of this stuff stuck with you through high school? Through and high school, stuck through, with you, through college. Through your your writing to uh, make a living phase, going from magazines to uh, working with uh, doing interviews and, and all those other things and writing for websites. And then one day it came to you, I need to make this a book. It's one of those things that gets in your head and you can't quite get it out of your head. So you start just jotting little notes down here and there. What would Thor mm -hmm. do in today's world? What would Odin be doing knowing his death is coming? How would Odin be preparing for this? What would Loki be doing? And, you know, Loki is a bit of a liar. I think he'd, I think he'd do well as multi -level, you know, as a multi-level marketing guy. <laughs> he probably would, actually. Oh, by the way, my degree in history does hang in my house. It hangs in the bathroom. I think it's 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 appropriate that it's there, but I'm glad that it's up because you know <laughs> something that's there. It is the testament so, to all all the good it's done me. <laughs> so for a while, you kind of had a, a a notebook or a bunch of notes hanging around. You know, hey, this could look like this, and I could do this, and then it just kind of went from that and coalesced into, yeah, I've got to put this all together. So when when did you actually start saying uh, this is what I needed to do it? When somebody had the opportunity to go through my notes without me asking them to, and they looked through it and said you know what, this stuff would make a great book. And I, after screaming at them for 15 or 20 minutes about violating my privacy, I started... Yeah, it was probably a good thing. <laughs> it was, and they got a very lavish apology soon after. Good cake, to know. A cake-for-dinner type of a lavish apology. Gotcha. <laughs> But um, so, I started thinking, said, you know what, they're right. It would be a halfway decent book. So I started writing up the just an entire story around it and eventually just pitched it to publishers and Double Dragon bid on it. Because this is a story uh, that's been kind of knocking around inside you for a while. Uh, and and I kind of get the feeling, based on the way you talked about it, that, you know, if the Norse characters were here today, you know, Loki would look like this and be this, and, and Thor would be like this and, and be doing this. So kind of the characters came together first? 
Yes, the characterization came together first. Story. And out. then, okay, and then how did you decide the story arc? And you have some very, very strong and some very cool characters here. Story arc came, the best way I can put it is organically. I had a general outline of where I wanted it to go. Um, and as I'm writing it, that general outline changes and twists a little. A lot of what I've got in there wasn't in my original outline. It's just how the story took me while writing. So is it fair to say that the characters were writing the story as they went along? In a weird sort of way, it kind of felt like it. Well, it's, it's, not, it's not not as weird as you might think. I mean, a lot of writers have that kind of, I've got these strong characters, let's see where they take me. And I found there were characters that I liked more than others. So I kept them alive, even though I didn't intend to originally. Oh, just because you liked them? <laughs> it was hard. to. It, there were a couple that were hard to kill off, so I didn't. Oh, as you're was, writing this, Brian. Oh, excuse me? No, go ahead. I was saying the original appro approach was I was almost taking it from, and I'm assuming we've all seen most of the Terminator movies. Mm hmm. That, well, in the original Terminator, they avoided Judgment Day. Judgment Day just found a new way to happen. So I was. Yes. In the original outline, I'm taking it from, okay, they've kind of avoided the original intent, the original layout of Ragnarok, but it still finds a way to happen, even though it didn't go exactly as the prophecy said it was supposed to. Which, that would have necessitated some death. Um, and once again, it just changed as I kept writing it. Yeah, I, I like this character. Let's keep him around a while longer, see what happens. Exactly. So uh, when, when did this novel get finished? This got finished May of last year. Sorry, May of this year. Okay. And <clears throat> released in late July of this year. And it's... it's uh, been released by uh, Double Dragon Publishers. Correct. Uh, and how do you feel about what's gone on with it? Do you like the life that it's had since it, it was done? Yeah, I do, because I wasn't expecting really anything from it. I expected family members might buy it, and that was about <laughs> it. <laughs> now you've gotten some very decent reviews with it. Very decent reviews. Goodreads ratings are fours and fives. Uh, it gets uh, a lot of comparison to uh, American Gods, and I, I think that's not unfair at all. I, I think there's some, a lot of similarities there. Uh, was it meant to be as funny as, as it ended up being? It wasn't intended that way. That's just how it turned out. Some characters had, had just a personality that sparkled in that direction. Thor is not one of them. 
a not funny character. No, and in the mist, he's really not that funny, at least not intentionally funny. But no, it wasn't, so what it, it, it wasn't meant to be that way. It's just how it came out. What are, what are your plans for this universe that you've created here? Um, I'm working on one that's not related to this that, I, that will come out next October. And that's basically Romans versus zombies. But, <laughs> and... It's got, well, it's got a little reach into this book because Odin shows up there, the Odin from this book. I also introduced the god Mimir, who is basically just a talking head. In the myths, he was beheaded and just becomes the god of wisdom, and he sits there by a pool spouting wisdom. He's the bad guy in, in the one I'm working on now. Let's talk a little bit about your your writing process. Uh, it's it's interesting that you work from the characters out, but uh, do you get up and have a a certain amount of words or pages you need to do in a day? Do you sit and look out the window and drink two or three pots of coffee? What's your writing process like? I'm best, I write best when I'm very tired or punchy, but I'm dis, but I have a disciplined 500 words a day. It has to be 500 at the very least. It may be 500 and crap that I get rid of the next day, but still I found that it's like a muscle. If you don't work it, it goes away. And that's every single day. That's every day. Once again, a lot of it winds up being crap, and I wind up scrapping it. But it keeps things, it keeps, it keeps at least some momentum going. It keeps, and sometimes when you see the, an idea on paper, you say, I don't know what direction it's going. It was better in my head than it reads on paper. Mm -hmm. do you, when you write, do you write in this? straight line or do you write well here's a scene we can do and here's a scene we can do and I'll figure out where they belong later no man, a straight line um, I start from the beginning and go straight on to the end I try not to, I try to follow the outline but once again sometimes the characters just make the decision themselves and change that outline a bit but yeah always in a straight line so when you start the book you have a beginning and you have an end mm -hmm. and you have a bunch of strong characters who are going to show you how to get how you got from here to there yes and sometimes the middle is a lot different than I originally than I originally pictured do they ever actually do you ever get to the end and go uh, but we shouldn't end here. We should go on to this. Actually, I had that struggle with Mjolnir. Really? Yeah. It was the it was the editor who kind of said, "Nope, you're done. It's 120,000 words." That was pretty much the "you're done" limit. You can end it here. Let's not take this any further. Save the rest for the next book. 
So instead, I, I uh, put an epilogue on, and that seemed to satisfy everyone. Well, as long as it satisfies you, that's the important thing. Yeah, that, that's my transition into the next book, the epilogue. Kind of, the, kind of this little bridge. And it gave enough of an ending to it for the editors. Yeah, it's funny because having when I started reading your book, <coughs> excuse me, and we talked about this a little bit before the show started, for me, I, I said to myself, self, this reminds me of a television show out of New Zealand called The Almighty Johnsons, uh, which ran uh, from uh, 2011 to 2013, I believe. Uh, yeah, 2011 to 2013, and it, it's it's similar in some ways in structure, uh, but it has that same kind of rooted in the mythology and uh, funny, gritty, uh, rough, uh, edgy television show, um, and and I was part of me was kind of shocked that you'd never even heard of it. No, never seen it, but now I have to find it. You really do. You really do. It's an incredibly good show. Uh, and at one point, uh, it had been optioned by Sci-Fi Channel to be brought to the U.S., and it never quite happened. But it's a good show. And we, we talked about it a lot a couple of years ago uh, when it was about to come over. It's definitely a good show. Oh, um, one other thing on not uh, on whether it was finished or not, if I could have gone further. This is where I will give the editors all the credit in the world. You become attached to characters while writing them. So sometimes, and I can't speak for anyone else, just myself, you feel almost a sense of loss when you're not writing them every day anymore. It's like these are people who, who you're not talking to right now. So now you're looking for reasons to continue talking to them, you, to continue having them in, kind of in your life. So you just keep writing. So, so in some cases, and may, this is might be in this case, where the editor said, nope, now you're just doing this for yourself. And you, you ended up agreeing with him on that. I, I think the argument had some merit. And he he kind of knew where to hit me on this because um, I one of the, I don't know if you're familiar with a comic strip called Bloom County. Breathed, absolutely. One of my all-time favorites. Good. So um, he can't, he, no matter what, he can't seem to let go of Opus. <laughs> and I kind of understand why as well because characters yeah you're very true about that but the editor said okay because he knew i loved bloom county he said okay bloom county was great then there was outland then there was opus and they stunk and he was and he made the argument that berkeley brethren was simply continuing on with opus because he could not let the character go Kind of makes sense, sure. So yeah, in this, in this case, I'm going to say his argument had some merit. You talk about some of your influences. Uh, 
Burke Breathed is one of them, uh, Rod Serling, H.G. Wells, Richard Matheson, and uh, Douglas Adams. Uh, that's a nice, diverse bunch of people. Um, of the group, I'd say Douglas Adams is the top, though. Why is that? What is it about Douglas Adams that that clicked with you and made him what 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 you wanted to emulate? His characters were immediately relatable, and it was almost like the moment you start reading Arthur Dent and Ford Prefect, you feel almost like you know them, and you're immediately into that little world because it's easy. Because once again, you don't have to work to get to know the characters. Um, I read the Hunger Games trilogy and I had problems reading it because Katniss was so disliked. I was, I disliked her so much. I don't, on almost a personal level. <laughs> okay. Well, the world is ending and she's worried about her love life. Point but taken, these, absolutely. Yeah. But these characters were immediately so relatable and the, the humor was so subtle and dry and I hate to use the word, but British. Um, just, it was almost like a literary religious experience. Some of the jokes would just sneak up on you. And, and, plus, and plus, they seem to have such a good handle on science and time travel theory as well. So it was also quite intelligent. And I think more intelligent than gets credit for. How, how important is it that these, this, these books be, well, for example, your book is, is deeply grounded in, obviously, Norse mythology. And uh, how important was it for you to maintain the credibility of the Norse mythology throughout the book? To me, that was one of the most important things. I took some liberties, but they're liberties within the bounds of the myths. Um, for example, in the book, Thor becomes an atheist. And he does so because his wife Sif has died and he reasons that if she to die, a, a goddess to die, how are they truly gods? Well, Sif stops being mentioned in the mythology along, somewhere along the way. She's never mentioned in Ragnarok, so I could write an end to her without interfering with anything. Um, sticking and sticking as religiously to it as possible actually causes you is also caused a few small issues. For example, Freya, I have her as a prostitute. I've gotten into a couple of, um, best way I can put it, is aggressive discussions with people who say, how dare you make her a prostitute? Why would you make the female character a prostitute? But that's consistent with her, with her mythology. Her most prized possessions her most prized possession from the myth is the necklace of the Brising. To get that necklace, she slept with the three dwarves who made it. 
so having her in the adult arts in our time is not that far of a stretch. So no, I it's quite linear, actually. And also trying to measure some of this, and this also becomes a bit of a challenge, with modern conceptions of political correctness, that's also a bit, was a bit of a challenge. Because the Norse were the most xenophobic people of any mythology I can think of. They even have... Well, they even have a myth called the Song of Rig about the creating of the strata of society where it starts off with the scrawlings, which scrawling translates into the, into the words dark uglies. And as you get up in the strata, the more shiny and blonder the people become. Oh, good Lord. <laughs> so a lot of that would not fly today. Sure. It should not, it should not have fly, flown back. Back then, neither, but different society. But yes, I tried it's to It's interesting. As close to the yeah. myths as possible. It, it's interesting from my point of view, not having spent, uh, recently getting turned on to American Gods for the first time, uh, and, and, and books like this as well, where the mythology is not something that's uh, culturally well known, uh, it's really, really interesting to to look at this uh, and see what the modern interpretation of those myths becomes. Uh, this is a really interesting book. It takes some liberty, but more, it it takes the reader for a, a nice little thrill ride through a, a, a what if. And uh, it was, it's, I'm about a quarter of the way through the book right now, and I'm having a great time with it. Uh, our guest tonight is author Brian James. And Brian, thank you so much for joining us tonight. Well, thank you for having me. It was an absolute pleasure. Normally at this point, we would do uh, news, but uh, my, my news guy, Java, is not joined us tonight. So, Kriana, do you have any idea who's on the show next week? That would be no, because guess what? The Booking Monkey hasn't told us yet. So, <laughs> let's move right into this. Sci-Fi Saturday Night is the official podcast of Granite State Comic Con, Keen Comic Con, BooksandBooze.com, and ComicArthouse.com. This is a comic art house for some of the best deals on original art from dozens of your favorite artists. And if you have a free moment, take a look at Sci-Fi Saturday Night's anthology, My Peculiar Family, now on Amazon and BarnesandNoble.com, a great stocking stuffer for the upcoming holidays. Our intro music production was provided by Rob Box. Find his creations at robboxonline.com. Our outro music is provided by Lawrence Made Me Cry. They have a great, great Christmas album out now. Check out their cruise on lawrencemademecry.com. Many thanks to the gang tonight. From the Peabody Dive Tunnel, the sweetheart of the Central Canada, and from Fort Kirby. Thank you so much. Don't say Terry and Jeannie, 
shared pain with us to share. Us, we all could enjoy the game with us.